Good morning. I'm going to be reading the Bible reading for today. Um, It comes from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened up his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call in your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you might see again and may be filled with his Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Paul, fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, and he was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Thank you, Mercedes. Well, I've got to say, I really love that song that we just sang, uh, You Are My Vision. It's a great song, and if you can remember back over two months ago, believe it or not, our first day here at Follow Baptist Church is over two months ago now, and I remember on the first day I spoke about what our vision is here at the church, and I said that our, simple was a very, our, our vision was a very simple one, our vision is Jesus. And some people might think that's simplistic or ideal or a bit basic, But I think the story that we just heard read by Mercedes from Acts chapter 9 explains why, in fact, it's a powerful vision. It's a powerful vision simply because one glimpse of Jesus, one moment in his presence, can transform our lives. If you're already a Christian here today, you know this to be true. Maybe you've had one of those moments or perhaps a, a season in your life where your heart has been gripped by Jesus where you have seen him for who he is and he has gripped your life and transformed your life and you have realized how glorious he is, how amazing he is and you've got a glimpse of him and you've gone, wow, that's amazing. And you've realized that you are a sinner who needs a saviour. And now in Christ you know that in him you have forgiveness. In him you have freedom. In Christ you have hope. And in Christ you have a future which is eternal. 
We know that one moment in the presence of Jesus, one encounter with the risen Christ can change our lives forever. And so as a church, we could have a a big fancy vision and we could say, look at us and we could talk about how great we are and we could try and become a a big mega church or, or do whatever. But the truth is this, that we can't make a scrap of difference when it comes to eternity. We can't change someone's heart, but Jesus can. And so our job, why we exist, is to point people to Jesus. That's who we are. That's what our vision is. This morning it was such a privilege to be able to dedicate little Piper Joy, decision made by Blair and Esther to dedicate her to the Lord. But our hope and prayer is that there's an even greater moment in her life. Our hope and prayer is that one day she too would have a life-changing encounter with Jesus as Saul did in this story from Acts chapter 9. And so let's look at Acts chapter 9 together this morning. As I was preparing for this message, I was thinking to myself originally that this is the biggest moment in the book of Acts. But I was reminded there is one moment that was bigger. Uh, Acts chapter 2, the giving of the Holy Spirit. When I preached that day, I called the message the big moment. And it was a big moment when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. Uh, The Holy Spirit, our helper, our counsellor, our comforter, our ever-present help in time of need was poured out. and, And the purpose of the Holy Spirit being given to us is that we would be empowered for mission. The truth is that we are nothing without him. But with the the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have power to go and be his witnesses as a people on mission. And so that's the big moment in the book of Acts. But I would say that this moment that we're reading about today would be the other big moment. And so the title of my message today is simply that, the other big moment. And it's so big that this story of Saul's conversion is repeated three times throughout the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26. It's the second most pivotal moment and it's the one conversion of this one man that actually cracked open the gospel to go to the ends of the earth and um, also to be the end result of two-thirds of the New Testament being written by this particular man. It's a big moment. In fact, we sit here today in this auditorium blessed, transformed and changed because of this one moment that we're reading about this morning. And so the question is, why was this so significant? And why is this man Saul such a pivotal character in salvation history? Well, the reason it's so significant is because of the man that Saul became after this one moment. This one encounter with Jesus changed his life. And we, of course, know him as the Apostle Paul, the greatest apostle who ever lived, a man who was pivotal in the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth, a man whose life and teaching has been used by God to literally save millions of people. This is a big moment. Previous to this account, we know very little about Saul. In fact, we're only introduced to him at the commencement of Acts chapter 8 in verse 1. Last week we talked about chapter 7 and how a great man by the name of Stephen, um, a man full of the Holy Spirit, a man full of wisdom, a man who is incredibly bold. We, we, We talked about how he was dragged out of the city by the religious leaders, and he was stoned to death. And then just after that account, in the first verse of chapter 8, it says, after they stoned him to death, a man there called Saul was giving approval to his death. That's the first introduction we have to this man. Here he is overseeing and approving the murder of a wonderful man. In verse 3 it goes on, and it says, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, 
he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. At the start of this chapter, we read more about this man. In verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing, breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, anyone who was a Christian, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. This morning, I want you to be under no illusions about how incredibly bad Saul was. Saul becomes Paul, this great apostle, but this is not Paul we're reading about. This is pre-Paul Saul, and he is a dangerous man. He's not just a nasty man, he's a nasty man, if you want to say it that way. He was a, a bad man. He's not just your typical villain that you see. He's not like the little devil with the horns and the smile on his face. He's not like Garkamol out of the Smurfs. Uh, he's not like, um, I had to look this one up for Josh Cordes who's not here today, but he loves Marvel characters. He's not like Dr. Doom. Apparently, I've never heard of him before until I Googled it. It just shows how irrelevant I am these days with young people. I didn't even know about Dr. Doom. I Googled it. He's the number one villain in Marvel. And so he's not like Dr. Doom. He's not even like James Heard at Essendon. This guy (laughs) is a genuine, hardcore, legitimate baddie. He's the equivalent of what we today would term as a terrorist, an ancient day terrorist. He's the equivalent of someone like the leader of ISIS. I don't know if you've seen much of the news over the last year or so. But what some of the things that ISIS are doing are just absolutely atrocious, heartbreaking, devastating. In Syria, they have slaughtered hundreds, thousands of Christians, mass beheadings, dozens, sometimes hundreds, killed at a time. And it's, it's just heartbreaking. It's unfathomable to think that that kind of garbage can be happening today in the world and people can be getting away with it. It's just hard to comprehend in this day and age. And so they're slaughtering Christians and those who managed to survive have been driven from their homes and from their country. And even though they've left, they're being pursued. And if you know anything about ISIS, you would know that they are not just stopping with Syria. They have a desire to wipe out and destroy anyone who does not subscribe to their worldview regardless of where they live in the world. It's abhorrent. It's dreadful. But there's great similarities with this man, Saul. He led what is described in chapter 8 as a great persecution in Jerusalem. But in verses 1 and 2, we read that he's now gone to the high priest and he's been commissioned by the high priest to go all the way down to Damascus and find these Christian refugees who have been driven from their home so that he can take them prisoner back to Jerusalem where they can be imprisoned, persecuted and killed. He's a man on a mission. And the sad thing about Saul and these guys from ISIS are the same is that they are so deluded that they think they're on a mission from God. And it's so incredibly sad that lives are destroyed as a result. But thankfully God intervenes. And in verse 3 of this account we see that everything changes in one moment, in one instant. God transforms the life of Saul and turns him 180 degrees. He's a different man in one moment. In the presence of Jesus, in verse 3, it says, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? In verse 5, he says, Who are you, Lord? The fascinating thing about this is that Saul doesn't know Jesus. He's never met him. But I love this, that Jesus knows him. 
and he calls him by name. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. I want to tell you this morning, he knows you. And he knows you by name. He cared enough for this wicked criminal, Saul, who was persecuting his people to transform his life and he cares enough to encounter you. He had a purpose for Saul's life and I believe he has a purpose for yours as well. The Bible tells us that he knows us by name and that he even knows the amount of hairs on our head, which is amazing for some more than others now that I say it like that. You might be thinking, wow, he knows every hair on my head, that's incredible. Or you might be going, I've only got three, big deal. But let me tell you, he knows every one of those three. He knows the width, he knows the length, he knows the size. He knows how long you're going to be able to manage to keep them on your head. And he knows the answers to the big questions in life, like why can I grow hair everywhere else on my body except on my head? It's extraordinary that God knows us inside out. The God who created the universe, so big, so powerful. The God of the universe is also the God of the individual. And he knows you and he knows me. We were knitted together in our mother's womb, each of us unique, each of us precious, each of us dearly loved. There's not one accident. There's not one mistake in this room. Each one of you is known powerfully by a God who created you and loves you incredibly. And so here we are. Jesus introducing himself on the road to Damascus to this man called Saul. He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Now we read in the account that for the next three days he is blind. And so here's Jesus on the road to Damascus appearing to Saul. But at the meantime, he's actually appearing to Ananias in Damascus. And he goes to Ananias and he says, Ananias, I want you as a follower of me to go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Now, Straight Street was the main drag through Damascus and it was at the western end of the main street. And he says, once you get to Judas's house, there you will find Saul of Tarsus. And he has seen a vision. And in that vision, you are placing your hands on his eyes and he has his eyes restored. Now, last week we talked about listening to God and obeying God as two steps that we need to follow in our everyday lives. And I said last week that the first step, listening to God, is often so much easier than the second step, obeying God. And here we are in this account, and we see that Ananias is struggling in that exact space. He's hearing clearly from God, but it's the obedience that he's wrestling with. And you can hardly blame him. He knows who Saul of Tarsus is. He has no problems hearing from God, but you can understand why he's a little hesitant to go. It's like one of us hearing from God. Luke, I want you to go to Syria and hang out with Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the leader of ISIS. If I heard God saying that, I reckon I'd probably have some hesitations because I don't think he's going to like me. Uh, we've got some you know, minor differences in philosophy. For example, I don't subscribe to beheading innocent people. And so we have small differences in the way that we do life and the way we think about things. And I would have some hesitations going to have a coffee with that guy. And we see in this account that Ananias has similar hesitations. And he goes to God just to kind of check in, to make sure God knows what he's asking, just like he wouldn't. And he goes and he's like, God, I just want to make sure that we're on the same page, that we are talking about the same bloke. Uh, we're not talking about any old soul, Saul. We're talking about Saul of Tarsus. 
I just wanted to check with you, Lord, that you, you know what's going on. Uh, I've heard about what he's been doing in Jerusalem to your people. I mean, it's pretty, pretty wicked. It's pretty, it's a huge persecution, some people being killed, people throwing in, being thrown in prison. And, and I just wanted to make sure, Lord, that you're aware of what's going on there. And I've also heard that he's now got permission from the high priest to come down to Damascus and when he gets here to find those that call on your name so that he can arrest them and take them back to Jerusalem. God, I just want to remind you, I'm one of those guys. I call on your name. So I just wanted to check in, make sure that we're on the same page. And and now that you have all the info, if you decide to change your mind, I'm happy to hang back now that you have the information that I have. If you change your mind, I'm happy with that. The truth is that God has all the info, doesn't he? He knows everything before it happens. God knows all things. He's sovereign over all of creation. He has the info. And so what does he say? He says, Ananias, I want you to go. I want you to go. We talked about this last week. When God asks us to go, often it seems ludicrous. Often it seems risky. It's like we're stretching out of the comfort zone, like we're stepping out into the faith zone. But like I said last week, I think that's exactly where God wants us to be because it's where God often does the extraordinary as we step out in obedience and follow him. And so Ananias goes and it says that he lays his hands on Saul and he sees again and he's filled with the Holy Spirit and the rest is history. And so what are the takeaways from this account this morning for us in our everyday life. Well, I summed it up this week with one little catchphrase. And if you th- remember, if you forget everything else I say today, I want to encourage you to remember this one thing. We go, we sow, but only God grows. We're going to say that together because you'll half asleep. Are you ready? We go, we sow, but only God grows. Okay, now with a bit of passion this time. We go, we we sow, only God grows. What did I say? Excellent, well done, you get an A. That's terrific. You see, we are called to go and sow, but only God can grow. And Saul himself, later in life, came to realise this for himself. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, he said, I planted the seed, but another man, Apollos, watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labour, for we are co-workers in God's service. Our job is to go and to sow, and God's job is to grow those seeds in people's lives. And so we are called to go and sow. Now, I've talked about this over and over again in this series, and that's quite deliberate. We're a new community, a new church community, and from the very start, we want to be a community who's on mission. We want to be a community that that doesn't become insular, but but looks outside of the four walls and realizes there are people in this region that are heading for eternity without the Lord. And so we've got to go, and we've got to sow into their lives. Our mission is to bless. Our mission is to love. Our mission is to share the good news of Jesus. This week on the way home from basketball, I was in the car with Adam and we were talking about the title of this series. The series is called From the Word Go. And he said, I really love the, the title of the service because of the series because it can mean different things depending on where you put the emphasis in the sentence. So we can say from the word go. And we all know that means from the beginning. When we look at scripture from the beginning, as God's people, we're called to be people on mission. 
Uh, from the word go, as a church, we want to be people on mission. And so from the word go, we're on mission. That's who we are. But if you change the emphasis a little bit, it can sound like something a little bit different. If you say it like this, from the word, from the word, from the word, go. You see, over and over and over again, from Genesis to Revelation, time and time again, we are told by the Lord that we are on a mission and that mission is to go so that we would be a blessing to all creation with the greatest news ever that Jesus saves. And God promises as we go, we don't go alone. He goes with us. And the reason he goes with us is because it's not our mission, it's his. And so we go and he says, I will be with you to the end of the age. And we go and he says, and I will give you the Holy Spirit and he will give you power so that you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. As we go, God goes with us. In this passage alone, the word go is used three times. First of all, in verse 5, Jesus has just appeared to Saul. He's fallen down the ground. And he says, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And so Saul gets up, and he goes, and there he meets Ananias, and he's commissioned, and and his future, and his destiny, and his purpose is opened up, and millions of people are saved because he goes. When he gets there, at the same time, the Lord is talking to Ananias, as we mentioned before. And he says, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Then we talked about the excuses he made. But in verse 15, he says it again. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, to their kings, and to the people of Israel. And so Ananias, despite his hesitations, makes a decision to be obedient. And he makes a decision to go. And he goes and he sows into Saul's life. And the end result is that Saul regains his sight is filled with the Holy Spirit and is baptised. You see, when we are told to go, we often don't know what lies ahead. But it's often in that space and in that place that we see God do the extraordinary. Our job is to go and to sow. But only God grows. I don't know about you, but I have a burden for my pre-Christian friends. I have a burden because I know what Jesus has done in my life. I know what it feels like to be forgiven. I know what it feels like to have hope. I know what it feels like to have endless joy even in difficult times. I know what it feels to have this assurance that I'm loved and I will have eternal life with the God who created me. I know how wonderful that is. And so I have a burden, a burning passion to go and tell people about this great news. And I think that's a really good thing. But as Christians, we've got to regularly check that the burden is coming from the need to go and sow rather than the need to save. A couple of months ago, I had the awful task of taking my dog to the vet to get her put to sleep. We loved our dog. She was an American Staffordshire Bull Terrier. She was a tough dog with a really wimpy name. A tough dog with what I would call a pathetic name. Her name was Buffy. (laughs) Buffy is the name of a little white fluff ball or maybe a cat. It's not the name of an American Staffordshire Bull Terrier. And so in private, her name was Buffy. In public, it was Buff. (laughs) Come here, Buff. What's her name? Buff. Yeah, Buff. We don't tell anyone it was Buffy except you and everyone else who's listening on the podcast. But our dog was 15 years old. 
It's 105 years in doggy years. She was older than three of our four kids, but unfortunately she had arthritis and the pills we had hadn't really worked and she was in pain and she was suffering and it was time. In fact, it was probably time about six months earlier. Kim kept telling me that. But I didn't want to take her to the vet for obvious reasons. But the day came and the family said goodbye and I headed off to the vet and I'll never forget holding her head as the vet got the needle with that green gooey stuff in and put it into her leg and as that drug went into her veins, I held her head as she went limp. I've got to say, I, you know, people say it's just a dog. <laughs> it becomes part of your family, doesn't it? So it was a sad day. And I'll never forget the feeling of feeling completely helpless. Like I couldn't help her. I couldn't save her. And it's true, I couldn't. And so how much more helpless are we when it comes to someone's soul? There is nothing we can do to save But let me put you at ease this morning. It's not our job. It's not our role. We are to go and sow. And God's job is to grow. As we do our part as co-workers with God, we trust God that he will do his part in people's hearts and lives. What we see in this passage is that God does the saving and he does it miraculously. Sure, it's Ananias who utters the words he was given, but it's Christ who commissioned Saul. Sure, it was Ananias who laid his hands on Saul, but it was the power of Christ which opened his eyes and filled him with the Spirit. And what we see in this account is an absolute transformation, an absolute 180-degree turnaround in his life. He was going one way, and now instantaneously he's going another way. You see, on the road to Damascus, the same light that blinded him physically, Jesus, is the same light that opened his eyes spiritually, as salvation flooded into his dark soul. The suffering that Saul was inflicting prior to this encounter now becomes the suffering that he will experience himself for the rest of his life at the hands of others. Verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Saul, at the start of the account, was commissioned by the high priest to go and persecute Christians. After the account, he's now commissioned for the Great Commission, to do the exact opposite, not to persecute Christians, but to go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything Jesus has commanded. What I love about this is that prior to his conversion, his mission was to shut down, to persecute, to kill, to wipe off the face of the earth anyone who was a Christian. But the fascinating thing is that even when he was doing that, he was already an instrument in the hand of God because he scattered people from Jerusalem. And the passage tells us that everywhere they went, they couldn't stop preaching and teaching and telling everyone about the love of Jesus. And then he has this encounter and he's used in an even greater way as an even greater instrument now to be the man who becomes the very centre point of this mission to take the gospel to the whole world. Let's not deceive ourselves. God can't be mocked. God uses him in extraordinary ways. And in verse 18, it says, Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He got up, he could see again, and he was baptised. Just one moment in the presence of God, in the presence of the risen Jesus can change your life. I was really convicted as I prepared this message. And I was convicted as God impressed on my heart that there's not a single person that I will ever lay eyes on that is beyond the reach of God. Don't you love that? Not one person in our lives. If Saul can be saved, then who can't be saved? 
If this guy can be transformed instantaneously, who else is too hard for God? Saul understood this himself later in life. He says these words in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Matthew Henry says in his commentary on the book of Acts, sometimes the grace of God works upon sinners when they are at their worst, which is much for the glory both of God's pity and of his power. So what I encourage you in this morning is this. Don't ever give up on people in your life that don't know Jesus. Even if they seem far away from God, your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, your husband, your wife, your friends. Because we serve a God who can do all things and he is bigger than your friend's hard heart. And in just one moment, he can transform a human heart. So keep going, keep sowing and keep trusting that God will do the growing. I'm going to invite the music team forward now. We're going to finish with a song in just a moment. But as they come forward, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and we're going to close in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for what you did in this story. Lord, we thank you that Ananias had the courage to go and to sow. And that the end result is that you caused that seed to grow in the life of Saul and because of that millions of people have been changed. Millions of people have put their faith in you, including many sitting in this room today. Lord, help us not to give up on people, but to keep trusting that you can do something in their heart. You did it in Saul, you can do it in them, and so help us to go and help us to sow. Lord, I want to pray particularly for anyone in this room today who doesn't know you. And they may ask the same question as Saul did. Who are you, Lord? I pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that he knows you and that he loves you and that his greatest desire is that you would come to know him and love him in return. You see, on the cross, he died for you and he died for me. And when we accept that and receive him as our Lord and Saviour, our sin, everything we've ever done wrong, is taken from our lives and placed on him at the cross. And when God the Father looks at us, he sees people that are no longer guilty but are innocent because our punishment has been paid in full by Christ. Maybe you've heard all this before. Maybe you've never responded to Jesus. I want to tell you this morning, I can't make this grow in your heart. All I can do is be obedient and go and sow. Perhaps you're waiting to nut it all out in your head and you think, well, if I can just understand more, and I can just sort of work it all out in my head, then maybe I can follow Jesus. Well, I want to save you some time this morning and tell you this, that you'll never fully comprehend him. He is big. We are not. He is infinite. We are finite. If we could narrow God down into a little box before we received him and trusted him, then he wouldn't be God at all because we'd be bigger than him. That's why this is called faith, a step of faith. And as we step out, he meets us where we're at. So perhaps today this is your moment. And while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, 
Perhaps this could be that moment like it was for Saul, where in just an instant, his life was transformed by the power of God. Maybe you're sitting there today, you don't know Jesus, your Lord and Saviour. You don't know everything, you don't need to. I don't know everything. But I want to encourage you, if that's you today, and you feel like maybe God's talking to you, and you want to start this journey, you want to take this step of faith, while no one's looking around, I want to ask you just to lift your hand. Not worrying about what anyone else around you thinks, but just saying, yeah, that's me. I want to know for sure that I'm forgiven. I want to know for sure that I have eternal life. I want to know for sure that I'm in a relationship with the God who created me. And today I want to take that step. And so while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, this will just be between you and God. I just want to ask you to lift up your hand now and say, that's me, Luke. Awesome. I see one hand there. That's wonderful. Is there anyone else here today who wants to take this brave step? I'd love to pray with you at the end of the service. And I guarantee you this is the start of the most exciting journey in your life. It won't always be easy. Christians struggle, just like everyone else, but we are guaranteed we have God with us. Is there anyone else here that wants to say, yes, Luke, that's me. I want to accept Jesus today as my Lord and Saviour and start this journey. Lord, I just thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are a God who saves. Lord, we don't deserve it. We feel lost at times, but we can be found in you. Lord, I thank you that you transform our hearts and that you're with us every day. Lord, I pray that as a congregation today, you would equip us, you would empower us to be a people on mission who go with a burning love and desire to share you with the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.